Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, pre-interview prep, chapter two. Here we go. So today we're going to talk about our guidance on what to prepare for your interview. Now, of course, our interviewing series is probably the most comprehensive guidance on how to interview that exists in the world. (laughs) So, and we've got a lot of people, you know, listening to Career Tools who have purchased it and listened to it. So is the content we're going to talk about today redundant? Have we already talked about in the interviewing series? And somebody who's listening to that can just shut their, you know, shut their iPod off and go away? Or are we going to talk about something new? No, of course, our whole, the whole point of, um, you know, we, we said years ago when the interview series first came out that uh, we would constantly be adding to it, right? And so, no, this is entirely new content. It's not in the interview series. Maybe it should have been, right? <laughs> well, actually, we, we wrestled with that in the beginning. Do, you know, do we want to put out 50 casts? But what we felt was there would be 10 or 15. I think it's a total of 14, maybe, maybe a little bit, maybe 13, maybe 15 casts that would be part of the interview series that you'd have to pay for. But the rest, we would simply put out to everyone because we didn't want to put out 50 casts that were restricted and then tell everybody, no, you can't hear any of our guidance on right. on interviewing unless you buy the interviewing series. Yeah, that, that just whole, didn't seem that to whole go balance with between yeah. wanting, to, wanting to give away stuff free and having to feed our families, that kind of, right. <laughs> was kind right. of So, okay, so this is something that we could have certainly put in the interviewing series, but we didn't. And so this is a little bit more detailed guidance. Yeah. And we get that. We get questions about that. You know, yeah. people use the interview series and then want to, you know, are going to do it again. And they say, Hey, can you give me some more guidance here or here or here? And look, you know, professionals over the course of their career, they do one thing, whether it's hiring somebody or, you know, heaven forbid, laying somebody off or promoting somebody or getting interviewed. And each time they do it, they add a layer of work and preparation to it to make themselves better. That's how you do things. Exactly. And, you know, and interviewing, hopefully you're not doing it all that often, but when you're doing it, man, is it important? (laughs) So now, so when you say preparing for your interview, we don't mean that in the broad sense of preparing to discuss your experience or how to answer the interview's questions, right? That we covered in the interviewing series. Right. Today, we mean something a little bit different. We're just tightening up um, giving a little bit more depth and detail to the things uh, that that you do, some of the few things you do just before you go into the interview. And we're going to call on some of the work people who have the interviewing series have already done. Um, we're just going to expand that a little bit to make people feel like, you know, what, well, look, um, we're going to put out a cast, right, about, you know, what, what to do when you're waiting in reception for the interviewer. Well, um, part of what you do waiting in reception for the interviewer is review three by five cards that you've prepared. Um, you certainly don't read the People magazine or the Time magazine that's sitting there. And, you know, you need some pertinent reminders of, of, of your preparation so you can be focused when you're waiting. And this cast basically gives you the specifics of what needs to be on those cards so you can be prepared to prepare during the um, time you're sitting in the waiting room. Cool. Okay. So three by five cards in reception area. I'm going to be reviewing them before my interview. Right. And the question here is, what's on those cards? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's in the interviewing series. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Four points. First of all, your key points. Okay. And that's based on the interview you're having, just some specific key points that you really want to make. It may be an accomplishment. It may be a connection between your background and the needs of the, of the job, what have you. Number two, your key competencies. What do you see is super important about what you've done and how it relates to what the company wants? Number three, your preparatory questions, or I'm sorry, your preparatory answers. The cards that we recommended you prepare in the interviewing series where for each of the big questions, tell me about yourself, leadership style, and so on, you've got a brief answer sketched out or bulletized out on your on a three by five card. So anytime you flip those cards in your preparation, when you're going to work on the subway or you're driving to work or, you know, half an hour, one weekend, you're practicing your answers. And then also all of your key accomplishments so that you can be practicing answers to the questions. Give me an example of a time where you did X. Uh, and then last, number four, your questions, the questions you're going to ask in the interview. Hmm. You mean I have to ask questions in an interview? I thought I thought yeah. I thought they did the questioning. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so learn something every day. Okay, so your key points. That was your, your point one. And you know, folks haven't listened to the interviewing series. If you may not know that, but if you have, you know that we recommend that for every interview you have three or four, not twenty, three or four key points that you want to convey to the interviewer. And we're just suggesting here, you write these down on one of your cards. So when you go in to the interview, you have those three or four key points nailed on top of your mind. Yeah. Look, there's range of, ranges of perception about who is in charge in an interview. Some people believe the interviewer is totally in charge and what happens in the interview is totally dictated by them. Others believe the candidate can be dominant enough, this is so funny, to lead the interview and take it where he wants to. In fact, I just read recently in the Wall Street Journal about how to get the interview to go where you want it to go. It's just mind-boggling. I mean, the idea that a million people would read that and 800,000 of them won't get the wrong impression is bizarre. But anyway, the fact is, neither is, is completely true. Now, look, Never doubt that the interviewer is the person in charge in an interview. They have 90% of the control. On the other hand, the reason we don't want the perception that we, we don't want people to believe that the interviewer is a dictator is that you've got to be prepared. And when a question gets asked, you have some choice. If it was a total dictatorship, you wouldn't have any choice. Okay. The fact is the interviewer has something you want. And so they're in charge, right? They get to, to steer the way they want um, because that's the way the interview is structured and because they have something you want and you know it. And so you've got to answer their questions. Right. And folks, the thing that you want, we're not talking about the job. That's not what we're talking about. Oh, we're good. talking about the offer. Right? That's right. So even if you go in there thinking that you're not sure you actually want the job, you absolutely want a job offer, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be going to the interview. So get it out of your head that you don't necessarily want the job and that they got to sell you. You don't have anything until you have a choice. And that choice is a job offer, whether you want the yeah. job or not. Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, gosh, how many play, how many times in the forums on managertools.com have we had people say, I closed and it worked, right? I can't believe that I should tell them I want an offer, but I did. And they were stunned and it made the difference and I got an offer and 
I'll never not close for the rest of my career. I, I, I love those those posts. Yeah. Um, along the lines of, you won't believe it. What you recommended worked. <laughs> like, why, why wouldn't we believe it? Okay, so look. Yes, the interviewer is in charge. Okay? They clearly have sway. Okay? But you don't want to abdicate all responsibility for the conversation. You're able to influence it in terms of kind of preparation and the kind of answers you have. If you want the offer... You have to make sure that the interviewer hears the points which you think are the most compelling evidence to your fit for the opportunity. And that means knowing what those points are. Now, as we've said before, as we said in the interviewing series, at the moment where you get a question and you start answering, that's when all your preparation comes to the fore, right? People think, well, I want my answers to be to be smooth and natural. That'd be good. Look, nothing wrong with that. Delivery is important in an interview. What's really important, though, is having the right answer to begin with, knowing that uh, Accomplishment 17 from your background is better for this company than Accomplishment 23. You can't make that up. You can't pull that out at the last minute, you've got to know, you've got to have analyzed what you have in your background and what they have in their job description that will allow you to say, oh, this accomplishment over here shows more of what they want than this other accomplishment that I did that may in fact be more recent. Okay. You've got to know what they want. You've got to know your background and then you've got to pick from your background effectively. Yeah. And folks just recognize if you're looking for a job and you're going on say four different interviews with four different companies, those accomplishments that we're talking about are probably different or could different. be different, not likely to be different for four companies. So right. it's not, you can't just memorize it once and then go to four different interviews. That's why that, of course, that's why we suggest you have cards for that specific interview. Right. Exactly. Okay. So look, we have recommended before that you prepare by thinking about the job. And certainly you can look at the job description or the job posting and or, or other research that you've done, find out what you think that company wants, and then be able to have examples which specifically address that, or at least address it as closely as you possibly can based on your background, okay? So an example of where you would find these specific key points that we're talking about is you'll probably have included them in your cover letter, okay? Okay, the format of a cover letter is, you're looking for X, I have X, okay? It's not, I really want to work for your company. It's not, I'm good at X, Y, and Z. It's, you say you're looking for this, I have it. For instance, maybe in your cover letter, it, it says, you require second line support experience. I have two years of second line support and an additional six months of third level support covering the US and European support calls. Or you require MCSE certification. I achieved that certification in 2008. In addition, I completed a refresher course two months ago. Or you require strong customer service skills. I have a 100% record of excellent feedback from surveyed customers in my current role, okay? So go back to your cover letter and then pull those out and list those on a card. Now, you, you might want to use one item which isn't listed as a requirement that you believe to be useful in the role based on your analysis as opposed to stated in the job description or the job posting. Maybe you include experience training others or developing SOPs, standard operating procedures, if in fact you believe your analysis shows that's true. We don't recommend that it all be analysis 
If you've got a job description and it's in detail, then obviously hit those directly. But if you had four, then at least one of them could be analysis. You might get away with two, but I probably wouldn't simply because for most people, the analysis I've seen most people do, they don't really analyze the job. They're thinking about what they're good at and they're just putting a strength forward. Whereas what we're trying to do here is hit the interviewer. We're not trying to sell something we're good at. We're trying to sell what the interviewer wants. There's a saying in sales, folks, when you want to sell, ask, don't tell. Meaning, don't just say what the features of your product are. Find out what benefits the customer wants and then talk to them about the features that you have that give them that benefit. So rather than talking about 50 different things that your particular product is good at, choose the three that are most likely to be of interest to the customer. And the way you find that out, of course, is you ask the customer. So you don't want to spend all your time analyzing the job and then realize they stated the three things that they most wanted in their job description. And then you realize, gee, I, I kind of outsmarted myself because, ouch, they're not as, you know, the, the ones I analyzed are not the ones that are stated in the job description. Make sure you hit the ones in the job description. Now, if there are 12 in the job description, maybe, but I doubt it. If there are 12, then you've got to pick there. And so that's a form of analysis. But generally speaking, it ought to be fairly obvious. And if you have trouble analyzing a particular job description, please feel free to post it. You don't have to include the company name. Post it in the forums at, at manager-tools.com and uh, that'll be sent to us. And somebody in our hundreds of managers who are there every day will We'll be happy to help you analyze it and try to determine what's best in terms of talking to the company about what's most important in that job description. Now, look, candidates make the mistake all the time of, of, of overanalyzing and underreading, if you will. Look, we know you have a bunch of stuff you want to tell the interview. We know you want to tell them about the cool design idea you had for a new fan. You want to tell them about the project you did, which saved a tenth of a second uh, off of phone number searches in the company directory. We know you want to tell them about the customer who would only speak to you because everybody else was incompetent. And look, those things are good if in fact they're relevant. But if those things aren't relevant and you're talking about them, you're wasting your time. Worse, worse is that you're irritating them, right? Yeah, that, that could happen. I mean, it really could happen because a smart interviewer is really only interested in those things that please him or her. And the things that please him or her are the things that solve their problem. And what solves their problem is a person who can do the job, not a great person, not a person who has done a lot of neat things, right? But a person who can do this particular job. And so rather than listening to everything, I mean, look, I'm an old interviewer. Rather than listening to every single thing in the world that an interviewee can do, we, we can't, we can't say, okay, he's going to tell us a hundred things and I'm going to listen to each one and decide whether or not it can translate. Interviewers don't think that way. What interviewers think is I've got seven things I'm looking for and I'm going to ask whether or not he or she's done it. And I don't mean to rule somebody out who has done 50 things that with a little bit of thought, they are absolutely wonderfully transferable into what I'm doing. 
I'm only going to do that if I've interviewed a thousand people and can't find a person for the job, which is, which just doesn't happen, right? What we say is I'm looking for the seven and I know there's somebody out there has done these seven things. And therefore I'm going to wait until somebody's told me they've done these exact seven things. Companies tell us what they want to hear about. Yeah, it's it's in the advertisement. It's in, it's right. in the job description they provide. Yeah, and like to ignore that and tell them what you want them to hear, that's just stupid, right? Yeah, focus on yeah. the things they told you they want to hear about and give them exactly. great answers to those questions. Yeah, yeah. So, so when we say your key points, remember it's your key tailored points. It's not key points that apply to you in every interview. It's the key points you want to tell them about you based on what they've told you about the job. Right. Okay. So how, how does our next point, key competencies, differ from key points? Because that's the next thing we want to put on our card. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, sort of. Let, let me give you a long answer to that because I could see where some people would go uh, you know, gee, that sounds just like, you know, I was just talking about competencies, but look, we're going to get, take four cards. Okay. On the next four cards, you've got three to five cards. Oh, and by the way, those of you who are interested in technology and you want to use a neat little app or a piece of software that puts your cards onto your, your Android phone or your iPhone or your Blackberry or, or your other smartphone device, fine. Don't put it on your iPad or some other uh, tablet device only to discover that you really oughtn't have that out prepping for an interview. For those of you who are listening to this 10 years later, this this cast will come out, I think, in 2011. And um, iPads have only been out about a year. And um, we would never recommend somebody carry an iPad into an interview because you don't carry hardly anything into an interview. But three by five cards are something you can slip into the the. Um, you know, the outer pocket of a suit coat, for instance, and, uh, or even in ladies, you could put it in, the, in, in your coat if you're wearing a coat and it shouldn't be any problem at all, but you wouldn't carry around an iPad to all your interviews. In this day and age, it would be gauche. But look, um, you've got three to five cards. You will have as part of your preparation, something we talked about in a little bit different, more detailed way in the interview series, you will have looked at the experience that you've had and the experience required in this role. Okay. And you will have developed a whole bunch of answers to behavioral questions, which show that experience. Okay. And, and if you don't know what a behavioral question is, um, that's the ones that start with, can you tell me about a time when, or tell me a story about, or can you give me an example of, or tell me about your most significant accomplishment, for instance, in preparation for the interview, you're going to review those cards and pick the three to four, which are most relevant to this role. You're looking for the cards which answer the questions which you think are most likely to be asked, okay? Now, I want to be clear, you're going to be thinking about what they're going to ask about, and you're going to have to pick the example from your background. That means, and, and of course, on, on the cards that we recommended you prepare, that they actually, you've, you, you have the answer, and you also have the key straight, uh, key strengths or traits or abilities or characteristics that accomplishment show about you. Okay. So you're going to review those cards, pick the three to four, which are most relevant. Okay. Look at the information you've been given. Look at the advertisement. Look at the job description. Think about what the company's looking for. Again, not just what makes you look good, right? The best accomplishment in the world that you've ever had that has no relativity, no relationship to this job ought not to be one of the ones that's your top four, okay? You know, from a company's perspective, folks, choosing new hires is like choosing clothes. If you want a black suit, 
no matter how nice the red one is, it's still not suitable. Now, now look, if you're not sure which ones are right, then go back and, and do some more analysis about the job and about yourself. Now, some people have written us and said, that's hard. I, I, I don't know which accomplishments prove which about me. That's a tougher one for us to answer in, in a podcast, obviously. But I, I can say, if you're not willing to do the hard work, if you did five or 10 minutes worth of work, and you're wondering why you can't seem to make your particular accomplishments fit the job that they're looking for, you're not working hard enough. This is the kind of nitty gritty kind of field work that really effective interviewees do. They've thought about their background and they've thought about the job and they realize they're going to have to do some translation and they know why accomplishment A fits question seven. And, and they know when they get question seven, they're going to deliver accomplishment A. Now, if you're not certain, if information from the job is lacking, right? The job description is not that great or so on, then you're going to have to actually think about the competencies which you believe are required for every job. Communication, teamwork, problem solving, customer focus. Those are probably the most likely ones to start with if you know nothing else about the job. Although hopefully your experience, your preparation, reaching out to friends and so on will help you flesh out a little bit what the job's all about. Now, when you're writing these cards out, remember, you're going to be looking at them just before the interview, in the car, in the parking lot, in reception, maybe on public transport on the way to the interview. They're not for learning your answer. The accomplishment answers that you're preparing, we ought not to be practicing the answer for the first time when we're doing this prep. Those answers we should have our, we recommend you already will have prepped by, by using a tape recorder, by using a video recorder in the days and weeks and months potentially before the interview. These are last minute reminders. We just want bullet points about the key things. For instance, in a significant accomplishment, if somebody asked me, tell me about a time, um, you led a team to achieve something incredible. I would say, well, it was when my team was the number one sales team in the country. And I would say the three key things I did, um, and I, and, and it would be A, B, and C, and then close out here are the results. And I would only have five bullet points on that card. It would be number one sales team in the country. And then it would be developed a special training program for a new type of account we were developing, uh, and then trained my reps extensively on that set really audacious goals. And then finally over communicated, uh, with my team about, um, techniques and also about goal accomplishment. And the results were, um, the second team in the country was 17% behind us. We were 17% above any other team's sales in the country. And it would just be those five points. Key, uh, top line, uh, about the accomplishment, three bullet points that describe the three paragraphs I'm going to talk about in the answer about how I did what I did. And then lastly, the, the result that we achieved. And one more thing. Don't write out longhand every single word you're going to say. You will begin to get bogged down when you're preparing. You will start to feel like, Oh my gosh, I've got to read this as a speech. And even if you, we, we said this before, when you're preparing for an interview, Mike, you've heard this before, right? People say to us, I don't want to prepare too much. I don't want to sound rehearsed. It's the biggest false opposite. It's the biggest fake dilemma I've ever heard of in interviewing. There is no way that prep, 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 prep is going to make you sound rehearsed. It's no just yeah, not. Okay. Um, in fact, if you sound a little bit rehearsed, 
we kind of like it. It means you've done your preparation because 90% of the people we interview uh, or most recruiters interview don't sound prepped or rehearsed. The meta communication that you show the recruiter by having a structured answer and having even all of your behavioral interviewing answers structured shows preparation. And what happens is you get comfortable delivering, say, a five-minute answer or a four-minute answer, but then you get nervous in the interview and you discover you jumble it around a little bit. But because you're so well prepared for it, the jumbling is actually fairly minor. But if you don't prep and then you make a mistake in the interview, and then because you're bummed out about it, you make another mistake. Now, when you get the big question seven, 10 minutes later, you're not ready at all. You're really not prepped and your mind's misfiring and the neurons are a little bit wacky and you leave out two of your three key points. And suddenly they think, wow, that wasn't such a great answer. You can never do too much preparation. Okay. I think that leads us to point three, which is really very closely related to point two, right? Which is your key answers. We've recommended that you've got cards with your key accomplishments on it. Now, now, by the way, we said three or four, it's possible that you think there are five or six or seven key responsibilities that you've got to have accomplishments for. We generally don't recommend that you take seven accomplishment answer cards into the interview. The reason why is because it's unlikely in most standard interviews, you're going to, they're going to have time to ask you seven accomplishment answers. It's possible, but it's very unlikely. We would recommend rather that you choose four or five and know how they could be applied to the different parts of the job. Because again, it's unlikely they're going to ask you seven. If you want to do that, it's not terrible. We just, for most um, people, we we're trying to avoid the fact that somebody would say, well, I've got 30 accomplishments. Let me use, you know, let me bring in 15 of them. You're just going to not have time to think about all of the 15 of them and the 15 minutes you're waiting in, in reception. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. So point three, your key answers. We also recommend you take the cards that have your notes for answering the questions. Tell me about yourself, your leadership style, your location preference, your salary uh, uh, preference, all of those things you can quickly review just to kind of focus yourself. And it may be, in fact, in the inter- in the preparation, you realize that when you narrow down the number of accomplishment questions you have and you, narr- and you think a little bit about your uh, tell me about yourself answer, you may want to tweak your tell me about yourself answer and make it a little bit better. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you can't do that in your general preparation before you start getting interview requests because you're trying to keep your, your tell me about yourself answer fairly standard. But when you focus on a particular company, you might discover your tell me about yourself answer or your leadership style answer would be a little bit different. Yeah. And folks, for those of you who haven't listened to the interviewing series, Mark is making, making reference to questions we identify there that you almost always get. And yes. if you're going to get the question, you know you're going to get the question. It's very likely you're going to get the question. You should have a pretty good answer. Yeah. <laughs> that should roll off your tongue. And again, not worried about being overprepped because the nerves of the interview and the different interviewees and the interviewers and the way they ask it is such that um, it'll come out different every time. And yet it will still show that you're prepared. And by the way, if you haven't heard of the Tell Me About Yourself answer in the interviewed series, it's not a one minute answer. Don't believe what the internet tells you that, oh, you don't need a longer answer. The one minute answer is just designed to allow the interviewer to ask 20 questions to probe. 
No, the one minute, tell me about yourself answer. I should write an entire cast just about this, about the dangers of the one minute, tell me about yourself answer. The fact is recruiters don't want you to bury them in 20 minutes worth of minutia. On the other hand, they don't want one minute answers. The one minute, tell me about yourself answer is really just a top line review of your resume. Well, they know what's on your resume, or if they don't, they're not prepared to interview you. So don't just repeat what's on your resume. You need to give them some more substance showing that perhaps you've tailored yourself depending upon the type of job so they can ask more detailed questions. Now, it may be that after three to four minute, tell me about yourself answer, which is, which is what we recommend. You'll discover that the actual answer takes up 15 minutes of the interview because when you give a little bit more detailed answer, they're able to probe with, okay, why that college or why marketing or why that change at that particular time? And you have to be able to dig down into your, into your background and explain why you made the major, major, cho- major choices that you did. Isn't, That's isn't what that a promise? Want. I mean, you, you prepared a, a four minute answer and you end up spending 15 minutes on the things that you brought up. So obviously there's something good there. So. I guess, yeah, I, mean, it's, I guess it's not a problem then, is it? No, it's not, it's not only not a problem, it's a plus because you've given the recruiter enough to be interested. They're not going to ask a question about nothing, about something that's not important to them. And if you give a one-minute overview, it's going to be going so fast at such a high level. When people out there say, oh, just give a one-minute answer so they can interrupt, that's because they've given answers before. Interviewers have interrupted and they think, oh, this is just a chance for the interviewer to interrupt. I promise you, one of the worst things in the world that can happen to a candidate is tell what so many people out there are saying right now about, and have been for years, saying, well, just give a one-minute answer. It's there to allow the, the interviewer to interrupt. It's the first big question you get after you've done some chit-chat and interview. Let's say that thousands of people have read that. They prepare this one-minute answer, which is really just hey, read the key things on my resume from a 30,000-foot level. And then at the end of their one minute, the interviewer hasn't interrupted. I mean, what do you think the vast majority of interviewees who hear that guidance, prepare a one-minute answer, probably goes too fast. It's essentially a recitation of what's already on the resume. And the interviewer, who's not fully engaged in the interview yet, doesn't hear a lot that he or she doesn't already know, and then gets done and says, well, there's really nothing there. I'm going to have to dig in more to get the kind of stuff I was hoping to get. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Total bummer, right? Yeah. The interview is like, I thought they were going to interrupt. He must not be interested. Oh, gee, I'm bumming. This is not good. And what do we know about interviewing? It's not the first mistake you make. Look, folks, you're going to make mistakes. First mistakes are no big deal interviewing. The problem with mistakes is we have such a high fear factor in interviewing, thanks to Horseman's Christmas rule, that what happens is we we start kicking ourselves for coming up with what we think is a bad answer because we're not getting the feedback we expected to get. And for the next 30 seconds, we've got a whole bunch of negative self-talk in our head while the interviewer is asking the next question. It's never the first mistake that is the problem. It's the downward spiral we create emotionally when we tune out the interviewer and then they ask another question and then we're not ready. And now we've made two mistakes and the spiral accelerates. That's the problem. Yeah. And in this case, we know we're going to get the question. So <laughs> yeah, let's do the prep and ensure. So we tell me about yourself. Is, is, tell me about yourself as a three to four minute answer. It's not a one minute answer. And you ought to have it written out. You ought to have the key bullet points on a card along with your leadership style. You may also include an abstracted version of the uh, a significant accomplishment answer so that you can remember the basic structure in case 
you decide to pull out of your background an answer that's a little bit different that you haven't prepared. But if you have the basic structure there on a card, it'll remind you about it. And then also you've got to have uh, location preference and salary and so on. Oh, and weakness as well. You might as well include your weakness answer too. If you have any, I mean, if you have yeah, any. yeah, if you have, well, right, exactly. Many of our listeners have no weaknesses at all. We get asked that question all the time. What if I have no weaknesses? Well, then you don't need to work anymore. You're done. You've achieved apotheosis, and you should stop working and rule over us all. Awesome. Now, you you said earlier we're gonna. It's not our interview. We're not we're not giving the interview, but we're gonna have questions. Really. Yeah. Look, suppose you, I mean, life as a, as a professional is not only answering questions. We want people who are curious. We want to see whether or not you've done your homework and we want to see whether or not you can carry on a conversation a little bit and ask questions that are relevant. I can't tell you the number of interviews that I thought were going pretty good. And then I listened to the questions and thought, wow, there, there's a, there's an indication of a person's character. It's like, Shel Silverstein's poem, God's Wheel, where the kid comes across God sitting on top of the world with a steering wheel stuck into the North Pole. And he says, what's that? And God says, that's the wheel I steer the world with. Do you want to give it a try? And the kid says, sure. Where do I sit? How much do I get? When's lunch? And when can I quit? God says, give me back my wheel. You're not ready yet. The relevance of that, folks, is that if you start asking questions about pay and benefits before you have an offer, you're a selfish fool and you ought not to be offered. Okay. Um, so this is a long winded introduction to your final card that you're going to carry in there will have three or four questions that you want to ask the interviewer. Okay. And again, we've given in-depth guidance on what questions to ask in the interview series. Wendy once interviewed a candidate who, when, when she got to his questions, he pulled out a legal size pad. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where he was hiding it, but, but uh, he proceeded to ask every question on his list. Two pages of paper, every line. It's about 60 questions. Now, let me ask you, folks. Do you think he got the offer? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, just a thought I had. And then equally, I, I've had this happen to me. I, I've never had 60 questions asked. Wendy and I have interviewed a lot of people to, between the both of us. You know, I've had questions. Wendy's had questions. Who said, no, I don't, I don't have any questions. I'm fine. In fact, I did, I did have a, um, candidate once say, I, 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 no, I'm fine. And I was irritated at that point. And so I reminded of the etiquette that when someone asks you, would you like more coffee? Would you like more tea? Um, would you like more water? If they'd ask, you know, um, do you have any questions? We're not asking about your emotional state. It is not appropriate, correct, or civil to say, no, I'm fine. In fact, why would you say that to a, ser to a server? What you would say is, no, thank you. So the no, I'm fine is always a sort of a non sequitur. Look, you must have questions, okay? You must, and you must not have 60. We recommend three or four questions. They're your chance to de demonstrate your insight and your intellect and your curiosity about those things that will help you decide more about your interest in the job, okay? Not compensation and benefits, not strategy of the company, unless you're interviewing for a job where strategy of the company is a core competency, okay? The, your questions demonstrate how your mind works, what you found interesting about the job, what excites you enough to ask questions about. This part of the interview demonstrates your ability to carry the conversation and lead the discussion. It's much better if you can remember the questions when you get to the part of the, the, the end of the interview. If you're trying to demonstrate your excitement about the role, 
having a burning question, which was so thrilling to you that you had it at the top of your mind, rather than have it look it up, really comes across professionally. That's compelling. And the way you remember your questions is you look at them just before you go into the interview to remind yourself of what they are. And again, even though they might be burning questions, nothing about compensation. When do we ask comp- questions about compensation? When we learn more details about comp- compensation, when we get the offer. Folks, if you never get an offer from a company, why would pay matter? The only reason pay would matter is if you're trying to decide between A and B. If you don't have an offer from A, <laughs> comparing A to B is really a waste of time, right? If you only have one offer from B, <laughs> what you ought to be doing is analyzing whether or not you want to say yes or no to B. But comparing it to an offer that's never going to come from A is a waste of time. So don't ask questions about compensation because we'll ask, we'll basically say, we'll give us back our wheel. You're not ready yet. Or vacation or benefits. Yeah, vacation. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Or how do I get promoted? Right. Right. Oh, I think once, I think I, I think I read something recently, Mike, about a, uh, an interviewer who wrote, maybe it was in the journal, maybe it was Harvard Business Review, somewhere, maybe it was on, uh, um, smart money, the career section of smart money or something like that, asked the question, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? And the the candidate leaned forward with this kind of professional superior look, professionally superior look and said, I see myself doing your job. What are you going to be doing? Okay. That, wow. But that worked well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's be socially inept, rude, and dismissive of the people while trying to show our professional ambition. Because that's Sorry. the kind of people I want on my team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, look, folks, <laughs> on, on the questions, key here is like those questions that we talked about that we shouldn't ask, you know, pay, benefits, vacation, et cetera. Like they may be burning questions for you. They may be terribly important for you, but they're not relevant. They're not useful in terms of getting the job offer. Yep. So yes, you have to ask questions, but ask smart questions that are going to put you in a better light with the interviewer. Let me give you an example of a question for those people maybe who haven't heard that that cast. Um, uh, suppose you're sitting in the reception, and I'm sure when we do that cast, there will be a uh, a part in there where we say, read the, the literature. Um, don't read People Magazine or Time Magazine. Read the literature that's internal only to the company, for instance. Let's say um, that you're interviewing for a production management position. And I'm going to make this up, folks, just off the top of my head. Let's say you're interviewing for a production management position in Seattle, Washington, which for those of you who don't know, is in the far northwest corner of the United States. States. It happens to be fairly near, I think they're almost sister cities, Vancouver in British Columbia in Canada. Okay. And you read in the, uh, in the literature that uh, part of the reason the company is hiring more people in Seattle is because of the expansion in Canada. There's going to be some support structures and there's going to be greater import export across the border and so on. And we've chosen Seattle and Vancouver to do some of that. I'm making this up. A question might be, I might say, um, you you always start with, if you can, a little bit about where the question comes from. I noticed that there's going to be an expansion and there's a goal to expand business in Canada significantly. And I know that our plant will play a role. Can you tell me how I'll perhaps be involved in the expansion of products being shipped to Canada, how that might affect my part of the production line? Now, that's a, that's a great question. That's a good right? question. And it's specific. And look, it's specific to the role you're going to be playing and the kind of input you're going to be adding to the company. 
You don't ask whether or not the Canadian situation will allow for greater output and so therefore bonus is going to be bigger. You're thinking about the role and how you're going to help that company be more effective, not how the company's going to reward you once you've already done what you know you can do, which is make them more effective. We focus on how we can do the job. We stay focused on the job and the role. I'm sorry, I could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah. So look, let, let's wrap up. So four key points. First, number one is have your key points uh, that you're going to share uh, on a three to five card. Have your key competencies. Have those top questions that everybody knows they're going to get in interviews like, tell me about yourself and leadership style on, on a couple of cards. And then have a card with your questions on them. I'm fond of, of American Army sayings because I spent some time in the Army. There's a British Army saying, proper Preparation prevents poor performance. Interviews are absolutely the epitome of that saying. To get an offer, you need at least probably five to 10 hours of planning and preparation. And if that scares you, if that worries you folks, then you're not ready. Okay. Give us back our wheel. The reason most people do so badly at interviewing is they take 30 minutes. And the best result of that fact is you only have to do a little bit more than everybody else to be head and shoulders above them. As the saying goes, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed person is king or queen. Spend some time, get to know that company, get to know how you should be prepared. Prepare so that when you're in that reception area, when you're on the train going in or whatever, you've got focused preparation help and the form of three to five cards that will make you super effective and will get you the offer that you want. And then send us an email and tell us you got it. Awesome. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, partner. Okay, we'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hey, if you're interested in learning more about interviewing, check out the interviewing series on the Manager Tools website, www.manager-tools.com. All right, folks, we'll see you next week. So long.